0: Hello, this is Andrew Gamson with the Speaking for him podcast. It's my privilege to be your host each week as I seek to give you encouragement on this journey that we call the Christian life. And today, I have the privilege of sharing with you part one of an interview that I did with my new friend Jamie Freeman. Now Jamie is a gentleman with cerebral palsy uh, who is much like myself. As we got into our conversation, we realized that we have a lot in common. But I think the biggest thing that both of us share is our desire to be used by God and the realization that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. So I hope that this conversation will encourage you and that if it does, you will share it with your family and friends. That's how more people hear our content and hopefully are encouraged to walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll be getting into that interview in just a little bit, but first I want to talk to you about what is going on. Well, what I have to share with you today is actually going to focus on the Uvalde shooting in Texas this past week. First of all, I want to let you all know that my thoughts and prayers are with everyone in Uvalde and everyone who is impacted by this shooting. This was a senseless act of violence, and it gives me a great amount of grief. And I hope that we can find ways to help prevent this from happening again. But as we get into this conversation, I think you'll find that it goes deeper than whether or not we allow guns to be possessed by American citizens or not. What it really comes down to is that we need to realize that these things are nuanced. That, we, that there's more than one factor involved in an issue like this.
1: These spectacles, even though they're not rare enough... They are rare enough that we can analyze each one the way you can analyze those videos and you will yield some common threads, whether it is untreated mental illness, whether it is bullying, whether it is broken homes, whether it's lack of security, whether it is media amplification, which happens to be my thing that I talk about all the time. I don't think it's right to keep doing this all all the time, but you can actually come up with solutions if you decide to entertain more than one variable.
0: I think that is a key thing. That is mentioned in this clip. You have to think about multiple variables in this situation. The thing that leaps to my mind as I've studied about this incident is how in the world did this young man, regardless of whether he qualified for the gun and the other equipment that he had, how in the world did he get the financing for all this equipment? That is something that I immediately bring into question. The next thing is, why was the door at this elementary school propped open so that people can just walk in? Since recording this episode, it has come to my attention that the door that the shooter used to enter the school was no longer propped open at that time. But it was, in fact, unlocked And thus still allowed for unhindered access. Schools need security. In my early days working for the Potter's House High School, my primary job, actually my only job, was to go around as a quote unquote fire safety guy. And the main component of that was making sure that there were no fires or any other emergencies. On the campus and for me a big part of that was to make sure that all entrances were closed because at the time of the construction that we were in when I took my job the main entrance was not open so we entered through a side entrance which did not have the security that the front entrance would one day have And then we also had entrances in the back of the school for the gymnasium and so forth. And it would be very easy for people to open one of those back doors and leave something in it to prop it open, much as appears to have been the situation in Uvalde. And as I would go through the halls, hour after hour, day after day in those early days at the Potter's House, I would always make sure that these doors were not propped open. Now, sometimes I would kind of worry that the the people who propped the door would be a teacher or someone else who was working there and that they would get upset at me for closing the door. But my ultimate concern was for the security of the children, We also need to, as has been mentioned, look at mental illness. I believe mental illness is a very real thing. However, I do find it interesting. In the Buffalo shooting not too long ago, we had a situation where the shooter was a known white supremacist, so we didn't even talk about the issue of mental illness, even though, if you ask me, being a white supremacist is the height of mental illness. Because God made us equal and anyone that thinks that a certain race is above other races is not right in the head as far as I'm concerned. But even as we look at mental illness, we still cannot escape the need for personal responsibility. And one thing that bothers me so much is that we tend to blame the gun, which is an inanimate object, instead of blaming the person who chose to fire the gun. Then we have the question as to why the police department waited so long to enter the building when they knew there was an active shooter on the premises. And of course, we ultimately have the question of, how did this young man procure the gun that he received? But as you can tell from what I've laid out here, it's one of only many questions. It's not the main question. And the fact remains that a good person with the gun still has the power to stop a bad person with a gun. And I don't think that eliminating all guns is the answer.
2: You know, one of one of the things about guns is that when you look at Chicago, I mean, that is that that is just a fact Guns are illegal in Chicago. Chicago has more killings than we see anywhere else in the country. They have it every weekend. Kids don't even run at the sound of a gun. All right. So, you know, they want to make this illegal and that illegal. But here's the problem. New York City was once the safest large city not that long ago in the United States. The reason we're not safe anymore, the reason crime is surging is not because of an increase. Uh, it's not because of COVID. It's not because of the pandemic. It's because these same people in their social justice agenda have decided that we got to let everybody out on bail. Let's not keep anybody in jail, even if we think they're a danger, even if they have a gun. Let's let them out with their gun. And in the end, uh, let's demoralize and defund the police. I have said
0: on multiple occasions for anyone that cares to listen that I am not against further gun control measures. What I am against, though, is blanket statements that say if you take away all guns then this violence will stop. If you ban all guns, this violence will stop. First of all, that is a violation of the Second Amendment of the Constitution. There is a process to repeal amendments, and if they want to repeal it, they should follow that process. But secondly, and most importantly, as has been outlined in this clip, you will not stop gun violence by outlawing guns. In this clip, Judge Perraro is talking about the gun violence in Chicago, and she says Chicago has some of the strictest rules on the books for the U.S. of A., and yet they still have high gun crimes. Nobody wants to focus on the Chicago gun crimes because they know that the laws we put in place to limit or take away guns in Chicago are not really cutting down on gun crime. The fact of the matter is that people who are evil do not follow rules. If you make guns illegal, people who are evil will still get guns, but you will leave the people who are not evil in a place where they cannot have guns. And schools are actually the perfect example because it was illegal to have that gun on school property. It was illegal to shoot those kids. Both of those things were already plainly outlined in the law that that was illegal. But it didn't stop the shooter. I firmly believe that gun-free zones are some of the worst and most unsafe places for kids in America. Because when you put a gun-free zone sign up, you are saying, come to this place, nobody's armed. Nobody will be able to defend themselves if you shoot up this place. And that seems a little harsh, but it really is true. And I wish more people would... Consider that. So what do I think should happen as we consider gun control measures? Well, one of the things I always say is, if you look at the laws that we already have on the books, tell me what loophole there is that is not being covered by the laws that are on the books, then propose a common sense legislation to close that loophole. But don't just make a blanket statement like the guns have to go. Because here's the irony of that. The same people that say if you get rid of guns, if you ban guns, gun violence will go away are the same people who say that you can't make abortion illegal because if you make abortion illegal, people will do back alley abortions and more women will die. So they believe that banning guns will make gun violence go away, but they do not believe that banning abortions will make abortions go away. You can't have it both ways. Either a ban makes things go away or it doesn't. The liberals on these two issues are talking out of both sides of their mouth. But I think there's an even greater issue at stake here. And I've been very heartened to realize that certain conservative commentators are willing to come to the table and say, this is the real issue.
3: They're missing the point here because the point here is this, this isn't just an ideological battle between leftist political policies and, and right and the political policies of the right. This is far beyond that. This is a battle between good and evil in our country. You don't open fire on 19, 8, 9 and 10 year olds if you have the Holy Spirit residing in you. This is evil incarnate. This is a person who, yes, was made in the image of God and at some point made the decision to embrace the great evil one. This is demonic. This is satanic. This is evil. And so the battle that we're fighting in this country isn't the battle between gun control or... Or constitutional carry. This is a much bigger battle. And and this evil that I'm talking about, this evil that corrupted a, a what looks like a mentally vulnerable youth, this evil can take root in a youth like that if evil take root takes root culturally first, if we don't practice our faith, if we don't have a faith community, if we fail to promote the family. A married mom and dad. If, if, if we as a community don't say no to evil and build a structure, an infrastructure of institutions that serve as a bulwark against this evil, then we've left this, we've left vulnerable youth or youth who are vulnerable to evil, vulnerable to evil.
0: Liz Wheeler hit the nail on the head. Michael Knowles had similar thoughts. You don't shoot up a school and kill 21 people if you have the Holy Spirit living in you. And if you are an un- unregenerated person, no amount of laws is going to keep you on the straight and narrow. The children of Israel found this out. That was the whole reason that God put forth the law is because he said, this is my law, follow it. And they constantly went against it. Why? Paul said, I would not have known sin if it wasn't for the law. So therefore, the law showed him that he needed a savior because it showed him that he couldn't follow it. The major premise of American liberty is American responsibility. The reason that the Founding Fathers were able to say that we can pursue liberty here, that they wanted to pursue liberty here, is because they believed in the responsibility of each individual to preserve liberty by acting in a responsible manner and to pay the consequences if they didn't. And that, my friends, is missing from today's society. Ultimately, if we want violence to go down in the great country of the USA, we need revival in the hearts of men. Alexis de Tocqueville said that America was great. And what did he point to to speak of the greatness of America? He pointed to the fire of godliness coming from the pulpits of America. And that has largely been extinguished. We have so many people claiming to speak for God, but they won't call sin, sin. We need to take responsibility for our actions. And we need to look at all the factors in these situations, not just the ones that look the most salacious on camera. I just want to encourage you to keep this nation in prayer, to keep our lawmakers in prayer and to encourage them to make bold and godly decisions. We will not have a free nation unless we are able to be a responsible nation. And that's the bottom line. And I'm so thankful that people like Michael Knowles and Liz Wheeler are willing to come on their shows and say, this is the difference. This is what needs to happen. We need to put the Holy Spirit front and center. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. We need self-control back in our American culture. And we as a nation need to bow our knee and humble ourselves before Almighty God and ask Him to send revival on our land. We need to push back against the godless culture that says you can do anything you want. Christ came to save us. He didn't come to leave us who we are. He came to make us new. He came to make dead men alive. He came to change the very way that we live our lives. And we need to be willing to allow him to do that for us. I am super excited today that I get to share this interview with Jamie Freeman. Jamie is an exciting guy who has a great passion for the Lord Jesus. I will mention at the top of this show that he does have a speech impediment. So please listen carefully. Uh, But I'm sure that you will be blessed by what he has to share and that you will be a better person having heard his story. And the miracle of following Christ is that the amazing things that God has done in Jamie's life, he can do similar things through you. He just needs you to be willing to be used. One of the things I really like about Jamie is he talks about how we always want to be strong, but God uses our weakness. And Jamie had to come to the place where he realized that God had a plan for him even if he didn't heal him the way he would have desired. Jamie and I actually have very similar stories in this regard, and so I hope that it is encouraging to you to hear him talk about all that he has overcome and all that he's accomplished. He is an author of two books and the father of five children. Before we get into part one of this interview, I just want to share with you our quote of the day. Our quote of the day today is Isaiah 64 7. And this is a verse that Jamie will mention in part 2. But I think it really describes his passion for the Lord too. So I want to share it with you at the top of this show. And it says, And there is none that calleth upon thy name, that stirreth of himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us, and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. And Jamie was talking about that that convicted him, that he needed to be in the regular practice of seeking to lay hold of God. And it reminds me of what Paul said in Philippians chapter three, two, when he said, I seek to lay hold of that for which he laid hold of me. And that's actually the inspiration for the theme of speaking for him, which is speaking for him who spoke for me. So realizing that God has a claim on our lives as creator and that we should live our lives in accordance with the idea that he knows what's best for us, and he, he knows the way that he wants to use us. So without further ado, here is the first part of my interview with Jamie Freeman. I have the privilege of welcoming a new friend, uh Jamie Freeman, to the podcast. Jamie is someone that I connected with over Facebook uh, because of a website by the name of Love What Matters, and we'll get into that uh, shortly. But first of all, welcome to the Speaking for Him podcast, Jamie. It's good to have you here. Yeah, thank, thank
1: you. Good to be here.
0: All right. Well, I'm just going to start. Uh, by asking you to talk about, uh, your growing up years and what that was like for you, especially in regards to, I know that you, like myself, have cerebral palsy. So if you could talk a little bit about that, that would be great.
1: Yeah. So when I was born, now the the doctors, um, told my parents, that I probably never walk or, or talk. Um the diagnosis uh, for me was uh, quite severe and actually um, um they they offered um they put me into an institution for, for really, kids. And my mom got like, no, you, you know, you're crazy. He's awesome. Um, and then we'll, we'll do what he, it takes, uh, to take care of him. Um, and then after, after that, people came to my parents and said, hey, you, you need to, you need to file a lawsuit. Uh, with the, where I was born, um, because my, my cerebral palsy, palsy was due to, due to hospital, um, neglect. And the Lord spoke to my mom, and, and the Lord took it on my, on my mom's heart. Don't, don't file a lawsuit. Trust me, now I'll take care of all of Danny's needs. So my my parents never filed a a lawsuit, and I I got to begin to watch very early in my life the the power of God as God began to supply every need. And, and, when a need would arise, um, but the Lord, the Lord was always there to take care of every need. And so by, by the age of three, three, um, I was both walking and talking. Now, which this said would be very uh, unlikely, unlikely, and just, we, we were able to watch year by year as I grew that, that the Lord was more than sufficient and more than capable and, and just walked us, walked us through every day. It is It is amazing um, the things that, that the Lord did for me as I
0: was growing up. That is amazing, Jamie. And I was reflecting as you were talking about how God supplies our every need. He led me away from a job that I held for five years last September, and I've been focusing uh, pretty much full time on ministry since that happened. And the, the income's not where it was, but God is providing every need and um he is always faithful and it's good for us to be reminded of that so i appreciate you sharing that and as far as i know my parents never were pressured to institutionalize me or to sue the doctors i was actually born uh 3 months prematurely and so that's what led to my cerebral palsy and uh you know i'm very thankful that he has allowed me to continue to be an effective communicator and uh I have a bachelor's degree in communications. So I basically consider one of my life goals to prove people wrong for the glory of God. And so I'm sure that you have had similar experiences and goals. So that's what really encouraged me when I read your story was just like, this guy and I have lived through some of the same struggles and we serve the same mighty God. So that's an exciting thing.
1: Absolutely.
0: So can you tell me about your family now? I hear you have quite the brood.
1: Yeah. So so I've been married, uh, we've been married uh, for 16 years and uh, we have uh, five kids And so it's never, never boring um, or happy. And uh, yeah,
0: we're enjoying life very much. That's awesome. I have, uh, I'm the oldest of uh, 12 children, and I have 28 nieces and nephews right now. God hasn't gifted me with my wife yet, but I believe she's out there somewhere. So I'm excited to see how God will answer that prayer. Yeah, yeah, that's really exciting for you to have 16 years um, of marriage in, and uh, I'm sure you've seen God's faithfulness in that process as well. Absolutely, yeah. So what are the the ages of your children?
1: Um, From my oldest. Is 14 and 14 down to three, and uh, they are a lot of fun.
0: Did you always know you wanted a bigger family, or no? No,
1: I've no, my, my wife, my wife did, and uh, I, I always thought two or three. Um, but the Lord had different ideas than I did. That happens a lot, actually. And uh, and uh, we are at five, five right that now, and uh,
0: we'll see what what he does in the future. Isn't that the truth? A lot of times, we have a plan, and God writes a whole nother script than what we uh, were thinking.
1: Yeah, that that that's kind of the story of my life.
0: So, how did you meet your
1: wife? Yeah, we we met at church. Um, I I I grew up um, going to the same church uh, for for the first twenty years um, of my life, and she moved um into town. And began coming to the church um I was at um we met there. Um I I I I liked her from, from the very beginning. Uh, she was a little bit a little bit more apprehensive, uh but I, as they say um I, I I moved her with my ways and uh, And we we finally went on on our first date, and then I guess the rest is
0: history. Well, I'm really encouraged by that because I have had my own struggles in this area of life. I've had, you know, young ladies that have captured my interest, but so far the interest has not been reciprocated, so, and I know that being in a relationship with someone with a Profound disability can be a challenge, and I know it's gonna take someone special to to take on the challenge. I, I get a little frustrated when I see um disabled people, particularly who aren't believers, who take offense when people talk about it being, you know, less than normal for relationships like that to exist, and it should be more normalized than it is. But at the same time, I know what my limitations are, and sometimes even today, even though I'm largely at peace with the way God made me, I still sometimes lay in bed at night and wish that I had a whole body instead of one that was crippled, um, because it would be much easier to offer someone a whole body than a crippled one, but I know ultimately that God has a plan, and His timing is not my timing. Yeah. So your story encourages me, and you know, we just got to keep believing that God has every good thing for us, right? That's
1: right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, you said you grew up in the church, and you've been going there for a long time. But when did your relationship with Jesus become personal?
1: So the the Lord the Lord really began to move in my own heart. Um, when i was pretty young so I, I i don't remember an exact moment but when i was seven and seven or eight years old um the lord was really became real to me and and he did he did a, a work in my heart and just gave me a, a desire to go after him, and uh, I've I've been doing it ever since. Now, I'm I'm 36, so 30 years later, and I I still can't get enough of it.
0: Well, it was the Apostle Peter, right, when the 5,000 were following Jesus, and he fed them, and then they were kind of looking for another meal. They missed the spiritual application and they were yeah. kind of looking for another meal. And when he chose not to give them that meal, they walked away. And yeah. Jesus said, some of the most sobering words I remember from the scriptures, he said, will you also go away? And, and Peter's words resonate with me from time to time as one of my favorite verses. He says, where should we go for you alone? Have the words of eternal life. Yeah. And, and, and see, not? <laughs> to, me, to me, that's really
1: in there. Um, it's interesting that you brought that up because I think when I was really young, six, seven, eight, there the may have been that moment in my life when the thing that attracted me the most to God was. I, I was always taught that that God God is a healer of the, the sick, and so when I was a, a little boy, what I what I wanted more than anything was to be healed of, of cerebral several parts. that was a really big deal to me for for a long time. And I remember coming to the point when I I had to face the issue of if God doesn't hear you of cerebral palsy, do you still want to follow him? And and, and I realized, yeah, I do. And, And that's when I realized it wasn't just about Healed a terrible poverty that I I really I really felt fell in love with a man, the the man called Jesus, and whether he healed me or not, I'm willing to live my life for him.
0: Amen, brother. Absolutely, I've had I think three times now in my life. I'm 43 now. Um, So I've been walking with the Lord since I was five, but I, I've had uh, several times in my life, like I said, I think three specific ones where people have prayed for my physical healing, which I don't have a problem with people praying for my physically, physical rub. healing, but the, <clears throat> the rub comes when certain people believe that God definitely wants me to be physically healed or that yeah. he somehow owes me physically healing, physical healing or that I can command him to, to physically heal me or even worse, that the fact that I'm not physically healed means that I'm not walking in communion with God. And so the first time someone prayed for me to be healed, I actually went into like a three-day mini depression um, because I was like, God, can you please heal me? Uh, because to give you a little bit more of my backstory, I, um, was saved at five, but then for the first nine years that I was walking with the Lord, I did a lot of arguing with him because I said, God, I want to serve you with my whole life, but because I'm disabled, I can't.
1: Yeah.
0: And then when my brother, I had a brother pass away at three months of age when I was 13. And I said, God, why did you take him from me and leave me? Cause I'm completely useless. And I just wanted to die. I wanted my life to end so I could go to heaven to be with my brother. I even contemplated ending my life. But God uh, preserved me through that time. And after the roughest year of my life, when I was 14, I rededicated my life to him. And he uh, took what I gave him and allowed me to begin a ministry, which is now a weekly podcast ministry and a traveling preaching ministry so
1: so yeah see this is really in in interesting because i i grew up in a very pinnacle or charismatic background and so physical killing um was huge I I, I I was paid for i i was prayed for hundreds Of times, just grow growing up, that that whole type of movement, and then what? What's one thing that that's interesting about my story is when my oldest son was born. He was born with severe special needs of. and related to cerebral palsy, as cerebral palsy is not genetic, but he was born with severe special needs. And the night that he was born, that that whole day was a crazy day. He he was born with um, a, a chromosome um, issue. That made him severely, um, delayed developmentally. The night that he was born, um, I, 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 I kind of got along with the, the Lord. And I'm like, Lord, you, you got to help me on this one. Because at that moment, I was sitting, I was sitting inside the hospital that I was born in with all the issues, you know, that surrounded my birth. But now it wasn't me. Now it was my kids that were severely handicapped. <laughs> it's one thing to be handicapped yourself. It's completely different for the to be your, your kid. And I'm like, Lord, I, I don't know what to think. And and the Lord really met me that now in that waiting room and what he put on my heart was, Jamie, I'm completely in control. He said, Jamie, I'm all powerful. He said I, I could I could have healed the son in the room and you would have never known there was an issue. He, he said, Ian, I'm all-knowing. I knew what was wrong before. I could have healed your son. I'm all-powerful. Healing's no big deal to me. She said, but J- Jamie, I didn't heal your son, but all of my ways are good and all of my ways are right. And what happened to me that night I went from growing up with this very charismatic one, the faith, I I do understand that God is in control. God is actually sovereign, and so what happened to me? What what happens to, to my son? That's not so attack of the enemy. That's a sovereign God taking a very difficult situation and meaning it for good. And and that not changed a lot in, in my life. And i I began to grow in this understanding that God is is in control God is sovereign and and, and He knows what He's doing and, 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 and I can rest and be at peace no matter what happens because God is in
0: control. Well when I was going through my initial struggles with this issue myself God led me to John chapter 9, where the disciples said, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus yeah. said, neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the glory of God may be made manifest in him. And, you know, it wasn't that his parents were perfect. It wasn't that he was perfect. But the idea was that it wasn't their sin that directly caused this but that it was for the glory of God. And in his yep. case, it was healing. But in my case and in your case and in the apostle Paul's case, instead it was God saying, no, I'm not going to heal you. But well, my grace is sufficient for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And yeah. uh, so I so appreciate the opportunity to share this treasure with you of God's goodness.
1: Yeah. And you know, the, the, when my son was born, he was in the hospital for about a month and a half. And so another day in a waiting room is when the Lord took me to John now and be, begin to open up that text for me to I I, I said, I came to that same conclusion that you did, that this is for the glory of God, that God may be glorified through it. And and if it's through physical healing, great. But if not, great. God's glorified either way.
0: And I have seen so many doors open because of uh, my disability. Every time I do something that people don't think I should be able to do, it gives me an opportunity to say, well, there's only one reason I'm able to do this, and it's because of Jesus. So it's a wonderful thing. So one of the things I noticed in getting to know you a little bit online is that you are an author. And we share that in common as well. I have one, I have one book on Amazon, which is about biblical manhood. But uh, you have two books, so if you wouldn't mind, just tell us a little bit about the books that you've written. Yeah, well, the first book uh, came
1: out in 2014, and the, the title of it of that that book is though he saved me, seeing the goodness of God in suffering. And so it hits on a lot of things that we've already hit on today. Today, If God is all-powerful and completely good, why does he allow suffering? Now, it's that age, that age, age, all the questions that everyone asks. And so in that first book, I, I deal with the, the issue of pain and, and suffering in not of the, the sovereignty and goodness of God. And then the second book I, I wrote is titled, titled, This profound mystery and it's a book about how marriage and marital intimacy is a testimony pointing to the gospel based out of Ephesians five where where Paul speaking about marriage and intimacy says this this is profound, but i saying it reveres the cost in the troops. So the that, that second, second book covers that topic.
0: And I just want to thank Jamie for taking the time to sit down with me. We will have the balance of this conversation next week on the show. But, you know, I've listened through this material a few times between editing and preparing for this show. And I have to say every single time it moves me and I'm just amazed at what God has done in Jamie's life. And it's exciting to know what God can do with any life that is sold out to him. And so my best to you, Jamie and your family, I'm just excited to get to know you better. And I hope that you, the listeners will appreciate What Jamie has had to share today. I will encourage you to look up his books on Amazon and to come back next week to hear the balance of this show. I hope this has encouraged you that God is with you no matter what happens. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So even when the ground seems like it has come out from under us, God is still in control. He still knows what he's doing. When it came to Job, he was in full control over what was happening. The devil did things to Job, but only after they passed through the Father's hand. So please be encouraged by that today. Well, that's about all I have time for, but I'll just encourage you to share this with family and friends and let them know about this powerful story. And as always, have a great week and keep serving the best of masters.